you've ever wondered to yourself, hmm, why are fountain pens still around? Who's still using them? What do they know that I don't? Then you're in the right place. Hello and welcome to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Here in the Nib Section, we discuss a jar full of information for people new to fountain pens. Want to personalize your penmanship? Customize your cursive? Stylize your stylus? We'll help you get there. If you're already a fellow fountain pen user, then listen in as we chat about new releases, comparisons, and reviews of products we have tried, tested, or researched ourselves. Whether you're brand new or already in the thick of it and well beyond saving, you're in good company. Speaking of which, it's time to introduce our hosts for the show and fellow members of the Fountain Pens Oceania group. Uh, first up, we have the double bowl, somewhat oblique, the Iron Grouch himself. Tev, welcome to the show. Good morning all, I'm Tav. I'll be a somewhat recurring host of this podcast, talking to you about nibs, repairs and inks. I've been in the pen scene for about four years and I've been performing repairs and customizations for about two. Um, outside of the pen scene, I'm a singer and a scientist and I'm also a calligrapher. And I hope to be able to bring a more informed pen community to, to uh, existence as I've, uh, I've never been one to hoard my knowledge or opinions, I'm sure a lot of you would know. And uh, what, are you, what are you writing with today? I'm so, writing with an ST DuPont Olympio Extra Large with tortoiseshell Chinese lacquer and a medium nib. Um, the Olympio is probably one of my favorite pens in general. I love the fact that it is made of Chinese lacquer. It's extremely high quality, um, lasts for a long time. And despite the fact that it's a snap cap, the, uh, it's probably one of the few snap cap pens that I enjoy as opposed to screw cap pens. Uh, the the cap itself has an amazing click mechanism to it, somewhat akin to the uh, uh, the cling of the du- Dupont sorry <laughs> the Dupont lighters. It's cartridge converter, um, but at the same time it uh, it still holds adequate amounts of ink for the to, for the uh, nib that I'm using. It's also very wet, very wet rider, which is what I tend to like. My only regret is that it doesn't have a broad nib. But that's probably something for the purchase. Uh, for my next purchase. All right. Uh, rounding out the panel today, uh, we have our second co-host uh, who is on double duty. He is our uh, in-house and on-table audio technician as well as co-host, uh, Patrick Antolovich. Hello, hello. Yes, indeed. I am here primarily as the noob of the group. I've been in the fountain pen realm for under a year, um, and i Frankly, if I'm completely honest, I very rarely know what I'm doing. So the idea is that I'm here to ask all the dumb questions, to ask all those... The things that you might be a bit too afraid to ask because, you know, typically it might be assumed knowledge for a lot of the more experienced fountain pen users and so forth. Um, I myself um, mostly fell into it purely because um, my partner introduced me into it and I was of the typical opinion that everyone within this sort of hobby would hear and it's just why are you still using that why don't you just type why don't you just use a disposable ballpoint pen that has no soul to it um so you know i had the same opinion until i finally picked one up and went oh oh no here goes and the rest is history i myself am writing with a pelican ductus in gold at the moment it is a i I will say pelican medium because it's pretty much close to abroad, that's the general thing with Pelicans. Um, 18 karat gold nib. Um, it's a cartridge filler only, um, because it, um, the ductus itself 
is a bit of a weird setup. Um, you don't actually have to remove um, the end cap and the feed section in order to refill it. The, um, the back section opens up with a little sort of um, sort of clip magazine style thing um, that you can fit an entire long or two shorts into. Um, it's designed as a traveler's pen. Um, ironically enough, I bought it from David as well, specifically. Or rather, he sold it to me when I was at Penultimate. Um, and this is just my general workhorse. It's currently filled with Pelican Edelstein Tanzanite, and it's pretty much what I use for my uh, for my day to day. Excellent. All right. Last up, we have our junior investigative journalist, uh, Jane. Welcome to the show. Well, as the oldest member of the panel, I'm going to wear my junior hat with pride, as well as keeping you all in order. Uh, despite my advanced years, I'm actually not that much more experienced than Patrick here. Um, I've only been around the pen scene for about three years, um, which is why I'm taking on some of these investigative projects, which I'll tell you all about a little bit later. But um, yeah, aside from that, I'm a secretary, I'm a mother, and I'm not particularly knowledgeable about much. Enjoy. What are, what are you writing with at the moment? I am using my brand new Graphbomb Faber-Castell Snakewood, which I'm showing around like you can actually see it. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into technical aspects because I don't really know much about them, but it is beautiful. It is an extra fine nib and it writes, I would say something, it feels like a pencil, but smooth and beautiful. And I absolutely love it. Excellent. Uh, I'm a big fan of Snakewood in general. Uh not necessarily for pens, but uh, on bass guitars as well. They look great. Um, I'm Chax Montano, and if you're as much of a beginner as I am, I'm sure you and I will both uh, find this podcast very enlightening. Uh, I'm writing with a Pilot Custom Heritage 92, the clear demonstrator, which I have just gotten back uh, from TAV. Uh, it's been stubbed. It's got a great amount of line variation now. Uh, and look, it's gone from... Uh, and ball tip broad to a uh, very forgiving stub that uh, I'm sure I'm going to be using every day. Um, so, us being here on our pilot episode, that is pilot meaning first, not sponsored and endorsed by the pen company. Uh, like all good first episodes, a little backstory can go a long way. Gene, uh, how did you find yourself getting interested in fountain pens? Well, I do a lot of writing, and I think there's a lot of overlap between people who like to write and people who are interested in the stationery. Uh, but until relatively recently, I didn't actually realise fountain pens were still a thing. Like you see them in movies, you see them in old movies with people with bonnets, uh, but you don't really see anything current. And I don't think I ever really knew the difference between a fountain pen and a dip pen. And it was about three years ago, I was browsing eBay, just looking for cool pens, and I saw that there were these pens that were not only still a thing but they were current and they were available and they were priced reasonably and then of course you find that there are higher tier pens and that then your wide opens a little bit more but that was pretty much it so it was about three years ago and I started small I started with something that cost about two or three dollars and then I went to the twenty dollar pen and then the fifty dollar pen and it just sort of spiraled from there all right well that's uh in the past two years three years three years three years yeah I've, I've gone from nothing to I think my last count was about 26 or 27 pens in three years, which is a little bit scary. A reasonable acquisition rate <laughs> for what I've gathered for the community. Um, Actually, yeah, that is reasonable compared to some others who um, have managed to... They, um, as I do recall, they sell off a couple of them because they're trying to avoid going to three digits in particular. Which, for someone like me in particular, who is the sort of the star of a uni student style thing, that is the dream, <laughs> to have that many and to... 
and just sort of go, oh, I don't know, maybe I can just pull out this SDK once and maybe use it for a while, and then I can de-ink it, then I can move into something else. Well, just... well where did you get started? Um, I got started um, through my partner, as I mentioned. Um, but as I said, I was very, very skeptical. Like, I'm, I was very modern-minded. Um, I'm a creative writer, and I'm used to typing everything. Like, I didn't really see the merit. My handwriting was basically garbage. Like, it was illegible to me a lot of the time. And I had no idea what I was doing. And she was going through and she was showing me all these various things. I'm like, why do you have so many? And then she shows me all the ink colors. I'm like, okay, that's understandable, I guess. But it still seems mildly ridiculous. I'm not going to get involved. I swear I'm not going to. It's tempting, but I'm not going to. And then she took me into Penultimate. And she got me my first ever pen, which is a Lamy All-Star in blue. Medium nib. It's very, very basic. I think at the time it was only about $35, very, very cheap, and it just kind of, as Jean said, spiralled from there. Um, I don't know what it was. I think to a certain extent what helped was the fact that Lamy is very modular and you can remove nibs, you can change it out, you can um, just have entirely different setups in the same pen, and you can see what you can do within like that and just the different things. And at the moment, um, one, two, I have about five Lamy's so far. And they're all the same type because it's just you have a different nib section, you have a different nib set on it, and you can do so much with it. And it just went from there. And I am astounded how much time and effort and indeed money that I've put into it now. Um, I would feel embarrassed, but I don't care. I love it completely. And it wouldn't happen any other way, really. I think the modularity definitely appeals to people for, yeah. for Lemmy. And uh, Tav, you're probably the most... Uh, invested in the adjustment and tinkering of, of your pens uh, out of the four of us. Uh, I am. How did you get started? Well, I mean, on my 18th birthday, I got a Waterman Expert with a medium nib from uh, my grandparents that's engraved with my name and the and the date. And uh, so I used to use that all the time. I used to take it to uni with me, but it, it was just another writing instrument. It was just like any other ballpoint, essentially. I didn't really think much of it until uh, it rolled off a desk in a lab and landed point down. So I actually went into Penultimate, um, you know, nearly crying because it was such a dear pen to me. And uh, they managed to replace the nib. And so I thought, whilst it was somewhat expensive to replace the nib, I thought I should just get myself a cheap pen to uh, carry with me. So in case it does roll off the desk, there's not going to be any, any further tears. Unfortunately, then I decided to get myself a pen case to keep it in. And uh, it had four slots. And I only had one pen. There's, and, you know, what, you know you, what are those slots for if not to carry things? Exactly. And so I, it was kind of like Pringle chips. You know, you can't just have one. If you have one, you're mad. You're going you're gonna to need another and another and another. And so four years on, I have a, a somewhat large collection. I definitely am not into the, uh, the triple digits, but I've probably got about 20 um, of varying price ranges. I've got some other somewhat cheap ones that I just bought in my early days as practice for customization um, but my proper collection is probably about 20 to 30 pens um, I got into customization actually um, quite early because one of the first pens I bought was a Schaefer 300 with a, a problem with a nib it uh, tended to skip on startup and so I sort of taught myself how to remove the, uh, the t issue with the tipping uh, they call it a baby's bottom and we'll talk about that at some point in a different episode um, so I taught myself how to fix that up and then I decided to buy a whole bunch of Jinhao pens to uh, practice customizations and repairing and eventually I managed to graduate up to 
slightly more expensive pens, and now I'm somewhat confident performing most repairs and customizations on on nibs in general. So that's that's uh, my story. Unfortunately, it's been a bit of a hit to my wallet. But as Patrick said, I uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, I'm a collector. It's, I'm a user of the pens as well. It's my passion. So it's one of my one of my hobbies, and I'm proud of that. It's fine. There you go. Uh, I've got two uh, slightly different memories of uh, fountain pens. Earliest I can remember is my dad used to come home with a leather attache and two fountain pens. And I would have been five to eight years old. And I can remember mashing this pen point down, trying to treat it like a ballpoint pen. Oh. At the time... <laughs> you monster. At the time, had no effect on me. I think oh back, I think back, and it's horrific. He's inherited that. Oh, yeah. It, it, he's actually sold off all of his, and I bought him, I bought him another one um, recently. But I, we talked about that when I bought him his new one. He said, do you remember ruining one of my friends? <laughs> um, I actually more recently got started, uh, maybe five or six years ago, I bought a Lemmy Safari for myself because uh, I hoard yellow things like uh, magpies. Uh, but I had a conversation with um, some artsy designer girl that I was into about uh, about um, not uh, disposing of uh, every every item that comes across to you. And uh, I work in a hospital, so uh, ballpoint pens and pretty much anything you can write with are like prison cigarettes. You know, they get passed around and whoever accrues the most, uh, you know, dies last. Um, but I ended up buying this Lemmy partially to have a thing that I would keep and not throw away and use for all purposes. And partially to impress this artsy designer chick. Uh, one of those has gone well. Uh, I will leave that up to you to, to decide. Um, but that's uh, two very different memories of, of origins. Um, so, coming across fountain pens uh, for the first time uh, at different ages, uh, I think we've all approached it, uh, it can be a little daunting. And often the first time we see a fountain pen is as like a luxury item next to wallets, cufflinks, watches. Um, there aren't that many of us that feel like dropping a cool $800 on a hobby that we aren't sure if we'll like yet at that <laughs> stage. But there are plenty of price ranges, and often some of the cheaper options can have a close to, if not as enjoyable, a writing experience as higher-end pens. So let's start off with Patrick. Patrick, let's talk about your favorite starter fountain pen uh, under $10. Oh, boy. Um, honestly, one of the things I will point out is that... To a certain extent, a starting pen, like, while it is a nice idea to go for something that will write well, a lot of the time, to get a pen under $5, for example, or under $10, for, sorry, is going to be fairly difficult. Um, one of the ones that springs to mind, and one of the ones that all of you will know, are the Platinum Previes. Basically, they're constructed as similar to regular ballpoints or rollerball pens that you just pick up off the shelf in, like, a supermarket or something, and... Um, but the main difference is that it's got um, it's basically it's a fountain pen it's got a fountain pen in the bottom um, the, they do come in a variety of colours and a variety of um, nib sizes but I'm coming from this um, from the perspective of a new writer um, now in particular the preppy is good because a lot of the way it's measured is in millimetres 
So a lot of people who are used to using felt tips or used to using rollerballs and so forth will understand that sizing and not have to deal with the heinous entropy of working out what exactly a medium or a fine is. Because as we all know, that can be really difficult to work out. So um, with this style of thing, a preppy is one of the, like if you're trying to get someone into it, one, it's if, if you believe it will work, it's actually a better off to try to aim a little bit higher. Like, like for me, and uh, Lamy um, All-Star was fine for me. But if you really do believe that you're asking someone else to go out and say, try it, suggest a Platinum Preppy to them. Because it's really, it's, despite what we've mentioned about the whole point of fountain pens being retention-based, the fact that you're using something over and over, the fact that you're actually fostering this attachment to a piece of stationery, a preppy is relatively throwaway. It's not too bad if it doesn't go well, it's not going to put you back too far, but it is an entry point. I treat I treat preppies the way that uh, I imagine dealers treat freebies. I pass preppies out to people that I think are susceptible to entering the hobby, mm. and that way if they don't, I'm out, what, five, six dollars. Uh, and if they do, they're going to keep coming back to me. <laughs> um, I, I definitely think I, I, w I would aim a little higher, but for the under $10 range, Preppies is definitely my, my recommendation. Anybody else? Uh, oh, I was just going to say <laughs> that I, I, think, I think one of the good things also about the Preppy is that they are also extremely modular, like the Lamy's. Um, they can actually, they're great for artworks, especially considering that you can uh, get felt tips for them. You can get um, marker tips, you can get uh, chisel points for them as well. And they're, they can all just be swapped out easily. And in fact, these, uh, these chisel points and the marker tips, uh, you, they'll enable you to use it like a permanent marker, but with fountain pen ink. And um, they're also exchangeable as well. So you can, you can buy new ones when they eventually wear out. Mm. Well, I, I went a bit differently with, with my sort of very early purchases and um, I mentioned talk, uh, browsing on eBay before and I'm somewhat of a romantic and I thought, well, if I'm going to buy this cheap-ass pen, I want something that looks classy, looks beautiful, that you know, look, does not look like a cheap-ass pen and I, I lucked out completely. I bought a Bauer 3035 and I've heard some horror stories about the really cheap pens but this one wrote like an absolute dream and it was metal, it was heavy, it felt like it had some weight behind it and I would definitely say, if you're not looking for something you just go and buy, you'd be quite happy to you know, wait three or four weeks for it to arrive, go the Bauer 3035 because it really looks like a much more expensive pen and it writes beautifully. All right. Well, let's, let's jump up to like the $10, $10 to $50 range. Uh, these next few brackets that we're going to be talking about, it is going to be very dependent on whether you're buying locally or whether you're going to be importing. Uh, that's going to change kind of which bracket they fall into, but I think we'll, we're probably going to end up recommending the same pens. Yeah. Um, actually, that's another thing I did want to bring into it as well. Um, one of the main differences about um, just being very new to it as well and being involved with a group, say, is um, the FPO Fountain Pens Oceana, is that we have a lot of meetups where a lot of the enthusiasts get together and you get a very rare opportunity to actually come through and test out other pens that people have inked up in various ways. And that's and fantastic. And most people are so happy for you to do that, which is really great. You just pick up anybody's pen and go, can I try this? And you just, yeah, go for it. Here, have all my others. Exactly. And the whole point is that is like, I'm unsure whether I want to make this jump. You have an event like that we actually are having today on the day of recording. Later on, we're having one of the meetups. And how many, do we know how many people are going to be there? Um, over 
40 of RSVP'd. Excellent. That is so many people who are all into pens, who are all looking to, like, you know, we've got David who has a whole variety of more broad nibs and so forth. We've got people like um, Lee Hutchison Alplug, who, um, who, who is the owner of a Connie Giraffe in particular, the more ridiculous side of things. You've got Viscontis, you've got Lamis, you've got Pelicans, you've got everything there. And you can all try it out if you just come along and you're friendly enough and we will just take you in as one of our own. One of us, basically. <laughs> um, but in terms of between $10 and 50 as I mentioned, the Lamy All-Star um, or just the Lamy Safari range. Because, again, I'm, think- I'm thinking of this from a starting point. Lamy is very straightforward and it's very modern. Like, the whole point of... Fa- like, a lot of people think of pa- fountain pens as being very anti- antiquated and very sort of old style. Um, in my mind, I tend to prefer things which are a bit more modern. And if basically what you're getting is a very, very direct sort of more Bauhaus design and something that will feel relatively at home in your hands. Like the, the grip is specifically designed to help you hone in where you're actually meant to hold it. It's very forgiving. And not only that, like you can go anywhere between an extra fine nib to a 1.9 stub, of which I have multiple because I'm, I'm always going to go for something broader and thicker. Um, but in particular, like it will just give you much more options in particular. The only issue I would say is that um, in terms of cartridge sizes or uh, if you're not using converters and ink wells, you might fall over yourself trying to find the right sort of setup for that. See, I have to say, I, mean, I get why the Lamis are good in that there is all that modularity and all that choice, but I cannot stand the design of them. I think they are hideous, and I had one. <laughs> I, I did. I, I bought one fairly early on. I, I bought an all-star because I, I like the metal over the, the plastic, mm. and I gave it away quite quickly. I just I didn't like it. I, I mean, my pick, I think, for um, for a pen in that price range, probably the, the Pilot Metropolitan, which is yes, sort of the, yes. other, the other side of the Lamy. Yeah. People who don't like Lamy's like the Metros. And was it was it the grip? I find the grip no. the grip tends to be a sticking point for a lot of people. It's I very like divisive. It. Yeah, yeah. But I was okay with the grip. You I either just, love it or you hate it. Yeah, I, I was okay holding it, but the more I used it, the more I hated looking at it. <laughs> yeah, Bau, <laughs> Bauhaus isn't for everyone. I have no. to say, it's yeah. super modernist. It's not just modern; it's modernist. And that's just Lamy in general as mm. well. I mean, if I was going to go for something looking modern, I'd probably go for the Twisby. Echo, of that looks more yeah. modern, and it's around the same price range. And it's um, a piston filler for beginners, exactly. Mm. But um, the, the Pilot Metro is definitely, and that's what I buy for people. If, if so for somebody that I like, that I'm not just throwing a cheap pen at, I buy them a Metro. I bought yeah. for my sister-in-law. Actually, um, that's pretty hypocritical of me, considering I myself have a, like a vast majority of Metros. As well. <laughs> the main thing about Metros is that it offers a similar style of modernity, but it's a lot smoother, less sh- like less like sort of sharp boxy edges and like there's a lot more style to it like the different colors the different like that little section in the middle with, with that has like the like i don't know what kind of patterns the animal are. print that's yeah, the, that's, animal print <laughs> that's so the like, sticking point it, for it, me it's that's very it's I... very very chic in that particular way i did buy the white tiger of course just because it was pretty <laughs> well a good thing about them is they also look like the archetypal fountain pen the, the lami yeah. safaris don't they look like some kind of yeah. medieval torture implement which whereas, is what i liked yeah. about, about the metros because as i say I'm, I'm a bit of a romantic yeah. and i like mm. my history and yeah no yeah. i'm definitely well, losing them in all of my medieval torture instruments <laughs> mm. course, well yeah. i i was i i do quite like the lami safari it is a classic design even though it looks quite modern it is it's not it, it dates back to the i think the late 60s or the early 70s when they first released the safari in olive green um yeah. the, the good thing about the I'm, I'm recommending the safari over the all-star because the safari 
is extremely durable. It's ridiculously durable. Mm. You can run over it with a car. You can. I've seen. I've seen safaris that have been run over. <laughs> well, I mean, I really don't think there'd be any problem, if, especially the barrel of the body, the main body of the pen. I've seen all stars run over by cars, and I've seen a safari run over by a car. Of course, the aluminium of the all star will bend, but the safari. It'll hold up perfectly. They're ABS plastic, so the same stuff that Lego is made out of. Yeah, exactly. Don't <laughs> step on. Yeah. But then again, that also brings up another particular um, thing. It really depends on what you prefer. Do you prefer weight in a pen, or do you prefer it to be mm. light? Because weight will make it feel like you'll have um, a bit more certainty with the motions that you're making. It won't move as much, whereas a lighter pen you can might live for longer because you're not exerting yourself nearly as much. So, again, that's another point of preference. Safaris, I recommend... Uh, one, because I started with, and two, any German person you meet that sees a safari will groan and talk about their childhood. <laughs> they actually have to use fountain pens before they're allowed to use ballpoints in Germany um, as, as a standard setting. And so there's just flocks of school kids with safaris. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of a divide between, well, there's a con- contention between the Pelican, Pelicano which is uh, another one of my recommendations. I love the Pelicano so The much. Pelicano and the Safari. To you, either, you either have one or you have the other. There's a bit of a... They sort of monopolize the German and market. Coke situation. Exactly, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. All right, so let, let's let's jump up a little bit. And these are, the, these are the pens that generally function as people's everyday carries. You know, the, the $150, uh, $50 to $150 range. And we start to get into the beginnings of the gold nibs and, uh, you know, a a little more design. Uh, My pick, uh, which should be no surprise, is the Custom Heritage 92 from Pilot. um, Because I love a demonstrator. uh, And Piston Fill and Gold Nib, there's not a whole lot else to say to that. I will very blatantly shill for them any given chance. Uh, Custom Heritage 92. (laughs) Anybody else? Um... I myself am probably going to go for something a bit less fancy. Um, typically, when this sort of thing comes up, you're typically aiming for getting a gold nib because that sort of that sort of slight springiness, that smoothness, is what you're after. I myself am going to mention um, what I'm holding here, which is a Parker Urban Premium. It, it's it, this is where you, it's to best describe it. It's basically a step above like a Metropolitan. It's the same kind of style. It comes in a variety of colors and so forth. And it's appearance wise, it's fine. But in particular, it's one of the few um, Parkers that, um, that I've come across that I can't fault that I found. Like, it, it has a little bit more feedback than usual. It, um, it's not going to be as nice because it is a steel nib. But what matters is that it's made better than a lot of the lower end ones. And even though you might only get, like, you know, fine or medium, it's still going to do decently well. And it's a lot more weighty, in my opinion, because I prefer weight. So it's not going to be too bad nor to um, have as EDC. Well, uh, for myself, I'd probably recommend the Lamy Studio. Um, that would be pushing the $150 budget if you're buying it at retail. However, I, uh, I think you can find it online for somewhat uh, cheaper than that, especially if you're using a steel nib on it. Um, I like the Bauhaus design of it. It's very unusual. The clip is like a, a boat's rudder. Um, it's a very nice nautical theme. It is also very modernist. I believe there was one of them that was that uh, made a little cameo in the Hunger Games films, I seem to recall, the brushed steel one. It's very reliable, cartridge converter, very basic, very good for everyday carry. And if you really like it, you can go and uh, spend a little bit extra and put a gold nib on it. Um, but if we're talking eBay prices, uh, definitely the Sailor 1911, if you can find it for a decent price. Um, they have 14 karat gold nibs. Um, they're a very comfortable pen to hold, especially when you, if you're one that's inclined to post your pens. 
and they're also cartridge converter. And uh, the Sailor nibs are some of the best. They they go from super super fine to very very broad in the form of their zoom and music stub nibs. So they've got something for everyone. Very reliable, and they have a, a my favourite a capping system, which is a screwed on cap rather than just a push cap. Definitely one of my favourites, as well as some very attractive nibs on them as well. What about you, Jane? Well, I think my favourite in that price range is probably more ruled by sentiment than anything else. Uh, my favourite is my Waterman Hemisphere, and I love that pen because it's a beautiful pen, it writes beautifully, it comes in various finishes, so you've got some choice. But the reason I love mine is because my wonderful husband went into Dimex knowing that I like fountain pens, knowing that they are called fountain pens, and that was pretty much it, and he walked out with a Waterman Hemisphere. And it, it wrote beautifully. It wrote even more beautifully when I gave it over to Tav and got him to grind the nib down for me because I have very small, messy handwriting and need a very fine nib. But it, um, I quite often carry it with me. It is a beautiful daily writer. It feels nice in the hand. And it's just one of my absolute favourites. Well, we've got the husband in the corner of the room right now looking very self-satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So our next, our next bracket is sort of where we start looking at your nicer everyday carries and the beginnings of our like grail pens, the, the pens that people like really think about acquiring late stage, you know, fooling themselves uh, as if there's going to be an, an end to it. But um, 150 to 500, this is really where you're getting the most performance uh, out, of, out, of, out of your pen. After this bracket, which we will talk about for a bit, after this bracket is... You know, more art pieces, uh, a, a lot more focus on design. Uh, at least I think. Anyway, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. This price got... range is kind of where I'm sitting at the moment, and it's it's where the last I would say ten purchases have come from, uh, because I, I'm buying the the Pelican M400s, and I'm looking to move up to the 600s. I'm buying the Sailor Pro Gear Slims, and I'll probably start looking at the regular size Pro Gears. And it's just these are the pens that I'm using every day, and they are beautiful, and there are so much variety. And I would say those are probably my two favorite pens. Japanese and German are kind of where I'm leaning towards in my collection. And those are, I think, the pinnacle probably of the two. The, I can definitely vouch for the Pro Gear. That was going to be one of mine. Um, which Pelican was Was it you said? Uh, I've, I've got six of the four six, Yeah, six of the 400s. And I will start moving up to the 600s. Now I have all of the different colors that I want in the 400s. Um, but, I mean, I love, I love the Pelican nibs. I think they're just so beautiful to write with. There you go. What about you, Tav? Well, um, this actually is probably going to be my recommendation for best overall pen in general in, in any price range is the Pelican 600, Pelican M600. It's a piston fill pen. Um, it is a very classic design. Pelican really hasn't changed the overall shape of their pens in about 80 years or so. Um, it's It's got a 14-carat gold nib, or uh, if you've got a special edition, I think they're 18-carat gold. They come in a whole range of colours. You can get uh, green, red, blue, pink, which I'm very, uh, very regretful that I didn't get. Yes, me too. Yeah, they hold an amazing amount of uh, of ink, and they've got some amazing nibs as well. I have two of them. One's a double broad nib, which is like a sharpie, and the other one's a broad nib, which is also supremely broad. And uh, they tend to write well with any ink, even super dry inks like Pelican Blue Black. Um, they're a fantastic size for anyone, really. Even if you've got big hands, you just post it. And off you go. They're uh, they're not as contentious as say the eight hundred or thousand, which um, which for some people with smaller hands, they can be a little bit too heavy. Your you know? delicate lady hands. I always yeah. say, can't cope with the big pens. Mm. Well, the the uh, the eight hundred has a, a very is very back heavy, 
which I don't mind personally. I have two 800s, but my 600s tend to be the most comfortable for very quick note jotting uh, and long periods of, da of daily writing. So that's my recommendation. Um, for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push the lower end of this time. Instead, I'm actually going to mention the, the Visconti Rembrandt. Um, it's still still name, admittedly, but the main thing about it is that it's still a higher range. What a lot of people, tend, like in particular me, tend to focus on more is achieving a particular brand that we've heard a lot about as opposed to one of the higher-end ones. Because something like Visconti is very high up. And for a beginner, like, it's better off like fielding your bets and trying to understand a lower-end pen in particular, as opposed to jumping for one of the massive ones, like a Homo sapien, for example. Yeah, a Rembrandt was my first Visconti. Exactly. And so, and, and also not only that, but one of the main things I mentioned is because you should, like, even though the idea is to go for a gold nib, and that, and that is the beauty of it, Steel nibs shouldn't be left behind in that sense. Like, they yeah. still have a place. They still have, if they're made well, they can be utterly beautiful. But what matters is that you're aiming for something like, uh, how much does a Rembrandt nowadays? Like 200? Something like that. Uh, three to 400, I think. Oh, okay. But that's, yeah, that's new. Yeah, retail, um, retail is about three to 400, yeah. I believe. Yeah. In, in particular, um, I say 200 because that's how much um, a partner I attended it used. That's another particular thing. Used pens are not a bad thing. One of the main things that happens with a lot of the communities is that we buy back and forth, we exchange, and you can pick up some pretty good pens for a lot cheaper than you usually mm. would, but it's just pretty loved, and that's it. And so this particular Rembrandt is just, it's um, a magnetic clip. You will sit there for a good day, just fiddling back and forth, just feeling it clip in. It feels delightful. But um, but then again, that's also sort of edging towards the, to the next particular section we're going to look at. Yeah. Well, before we jump to that section, uh, my my recommendation for this is the Pilot Custom A23, uh, which is another one I will uh, blatantly shill for. Uh, vacuum filler, um, wonderful gold nib, wonderful, um, large, bouncy, and it's one of the few pens that never really goes into my pen roll. I'll have it clipped on me or virtually out uh at, at all times. Um, so the over $500 bracket, which we're going to touch on briefly, and this is uh, wishful thinking for a lot of us and either uh, painful or joy, joyful purchases for, for some of the others. My, my pitch for it is going to be the Conid. Uh, Conid, uh, uh, I'm going to say giraffe. Uh, yeah, because if uh, if you feel like holding seven mils of ink at any given time, uh, my my aim is to get one and uh, call it Long Tall Sally. Uh, but that's a worthy goal of life, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're looking at a, a large, all, almost custom made pen. They don't make it to your specifications, but they don't start making the pen until you order. Uh, you, there's customizability. You can pick which particular pen with. You know, it's some, very modular, actually. Some, very yeah, like some that. options, yeah. Uh, but it is pricey. It is pricey. I think the last I saw, if you're going for all the bells and whistles, uh, 500 euro, which uh, I think would be the minimum. It um, might be a bit more. I'm going to actually just quickly convert that. Yeah. To, so you said 500 euro. You're looking I, at I think Australian so. dollars. Yeah. $735. I, yeah, and I'm not sure if that includes a gold nib. Uh, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have to buy a separate. Yeah. Um, 
But you choose one and then you sort of go from there. Yeah. Because you get more messy. That's just, my recommendation. Just to clarify, the uh, the Conid Giraffe is a, a, a an extremely long pen, for those of you who haven't seen it. It's about 20 centimetres capped. If anyone and remembers about, those really large pencils you used to buy at the Easter show that yeah. looked ridiculous, oh, think yeah. of that. Yeah, this but is the fountain pen version pencil. of those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and not to mention, it's also a piston filler. Now, that extends out even further. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's about about twenty five centimeters when you put the cap on the back end of it. It's it's a very much a statement piece, like a lot of people, like a lot of uh, pens in this uh, in this price range are. It's not a conversation piece. Oh yeah, <laughs> nicknamed the baton or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of does look like it's some kind of uh, some some kind of self defense weapon or something like that you keep on your key ring. And it's titanium. Yeah, yes, well, there you go. Indeed, it will be quite durable. Um, yes. I mean, if I'm looking at that sort of price range, and I do look at that sort of price range, even I really buy in it, um, you've, sort of, you've not only got things like there's a few Mont Blancs that I like, which I'm not a big fan of Mont Blanc, but there are two or three models that I think I really would like to go. And there's the Agatha Christie, which is my ultimate grail pen. Uh, there's a couple of the slightly lower-end ones that I'm looking at. But then you've also got the higher-end models of some of the lower ones. You, like the Graphon Faber Castell Classic, I've got the Snake Wood, which is more expensive than the others. You've got the Pilot Vanishing Point and I've got the Rodney. Things like that where you might be paying a bit extra to have something that really doesn't perform any better, but it's just beautiful and it's nice to own and it just makes you happy. And that's probably what I'd sort of look at in that sort of range. It just looks pretty. Yeah. That's the idea. That's my criteria. From a from a utility standpoint, if you want a pen that over five hundred dollars that you can use regularly as a daily writer, I would I'd recommend probably the Pelican eight hundred or one thousand. Uh, they're for the, those of us with much larger hands who like larger pens. Um, and uh, ditto with the Mont Blanc one four nine. It's a very large pen, definitely definitely a statement piece. Um, all of those, all three of those have lovely nibs. Um, but if you want a pen that's very unique. And uh, definitely will make a, a lasting impression on people who'd go, ooh, that, I've not seen that one before. It's the ST DuPont Olympio. Uh, like, the, uh, like the pen that I'm using today, uh, it comes in a variety of different types of Chinese lacquer, which is a, a natural material applied of, over a period of several weeks, I believe. Very, very involved process in making it. It's done by hand. Uh, it's lacquer over brass, and uh, it's got an amazing weight to it. Uh, there, um, you can get just plain black, or you can get one with tortoiseshell pattern. I think there's now a purple tortoiseshell pattern, a red tortoiseshell pattern, and uh, or my one, which is brown tortoiseshell. Um, they're fantastic quality. Their nibs are extremely smooth, from extra fine to broad. Um, one of our members of, uh, of Fountain Pens Oceania, Diana, has uh, has one in a very unusual sort of a, a tartan looking finish called, called vertigo one. yeah we're all i think the whole whole community is jealous of of, of diana's vertigo duponts um one of them has an extra fine nib which is one of the few extra fines that i've actually really enjoyed using um and i i, I have not found a dupont nib that i have not enjoyed using they're, they're all perfect from the get-go um you know barring somebody breaking it you're pretty much going to be guaranteed to get a lovely writing pen. Um, they're also, let it roll off a yeah, table. Don't ever know. <laughs> but even so, I will also say that the fact that Chinese lacquer is is made over such a, a laborious and long process, it actually ends up being supremely scratch resistant and dent resistant. Uh, I've seen one that's been dented, and I have no idea how they did it. Maybe like a, a, a hydraulic press or something like that, or or a bullet. Science but experiment. yeah, they're 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 extremely durable. I have one of them that I've owned for many months, and there's not even a scratch on it, even though I've carried it with me. It's it's quite quite remarkable. Okay, um, 
I honestly, this is one of the main daunting things for a new pen buyer. Like to think that one of those high range ones, like you can, like it's the old maxim, you can spend that much on a pen. And so, yeah. yes, and you will want to. Um, the one, I, the, the only pen that I can actually recommend for myself, and for a lot of the pens I would recommend in this range, are limited edition. Like a lot of the ones that will catch your eye. Like in particular, like the Pelican Ductus that I'm holding right now is supposedly, according to Devi, the last one left unused in retail. Um, yeah, we can't get them. We, we couldn't get them. Yeah, it was discontinued point. in 2012, was it? I don't recall off the top of my head, okay. but they are not in current production. Yes, I don't think. it's 18 karat gold nib. It's honestly the finest pen I've ever used and ever probably ever will use at this rate. Because it's, and not only that, it's my workhorse. It's what I, I as soon as we bought it, um, my partner said, okay, look, it's a very nice pen. I get that. But don't take it to work just yet, or at least not too often, because, like, you know, we've got to be careful with it. And I was not careful with it. I took it with me, and I've been using it almost every day since. It has not failed me. And like most other Pelicans, it won't. But one of the main things that, um, but a lot of the time, the focus is on brand in particular. One of the ones that um, I would say is a grail pen that I know is above and beyond is almost anything by SG DuPont that is limited edition. They are utterly beautiful. To mention one particular pen that I know is within that range that is um, that is owned by um, Diana over there as well, is the rise? I think it was the Rising Phoenix, like uh, Phoenix Renaissance. Your Phoenix Renaissance. It is platinum and <sighs> meteorite dust. Meteorite dust. This <laughs> sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and that's the point. <laughs> Dupont can get a bit ridiculous with their exactly. with their like, and, uh, Gosh, I don't need another brand to start collecting. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm aiming for. Because SG Dupont is kind of like a private jet soaring overhead. It's the dream is to be in there with it but you know it's stupendously high up because it's incredibly difficult to find an SD DuPont that's under 500 because it's that's just what they do and and that's the beauty of well, it. As well, well one of the one of the ways I did it and I still do it to this day is buy them second hand. I don't own any new DuPonts. All of them I've bought have been second hand. Uh, mm-hmm. one of them I bought for about 400 and the other one I actually I bought for 500 but ended up getting it for free because the uh, the seller tried to screw me over and eBay refunded my money. So uh, so so this is that that's the pen I'm using today. I actually got for free. So that's oh, that's your under $10 recommendation. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was going to be really I was going to be a real a uh, real smart aleck and do that and be like, "Well, yeah, my recommendation is the DuPont Olympia yeah. if you can find a way of uh, being screwed over or attempted to be screwed over by a, an eBay seller, then yeah, you can get one for free. Yeah, and that also goes without saying, if you are buying a line from someone in particular, not from a reputable source, please be careful. There will be a lot of people who will do all kinds of fun stuff, and that's, again, why I recommend the group, because... Black like people you know. That, yes, which people you know, not only that, it's a little bit more policeable, because they have to be held accountable. Make me an offer for the Renaissance, if you want. Oh, God. Mm, <laughs> careful. Uh, Can I give a bit more clarity on the discontinuation of the of the ductus? Yeah. Um, it was, a, it was a, a very bold idea by Pelican to deviate from their classic design. I quite like it. In fact, the uh, I've had a conversation with, with Urak, the uh, Australian distributor for Pelican. He loves it as well. Yeah. But he knows, he told me why it uh, uh, it was discontinued and the reason was it just wasn't popular. Really? Um, it was such a deviation from the norm of what Pelican is recognised for. The people just didn't really take much notice of it. Um, when, when you pulled out that cartridge, I was surprised because I... Just assume a pelican is a yeah. piston filler normally. Yeah, there's there's two and, aspects and it looks of like it. Because it's, yeah. it's unscrewing yeah. from the end. Yeah, the, it's got a look. blind cap like a pelican does. But yeah. the, the thing is that there's the, the yes, the cartridge fill only and that weird uh, it's somewhat reminiscent of the Mont Blanc one four seven Traveller, having mm-hmm. that little uh, sort of magazine that comes out the back. 
Um, it does feel pretty. It, that's a deviation. <laughs> that is that is a, a deviation, and also the fact that the, the nib is very unusually shaped. It, so it is. It's very Bauhaus. It's, it's very tubular, actually. Yeah. It's just the way it's shaped and bent. And honestly, like if you have a look at a lot of the other pelicans, it's just in that particular style. But this is so different, and I yeah. think that's part of why I like it. Yeah, and unfortunately, what makes you like it for some reason didn't. I don't know if people didn't. They, I don't know if people disliked it. But I think just they didn't take notice of it because Pelicans got a good thing going with the you know, 200, 400, 600, 800,000. Mm. That's Pelican. People just sort of recognise that as being the essential Pelican pen. Well, I think and as it, a Pelican lover, that filling system would put me off, I have to say. Oh, I, yeah. I probably wouldn't buy that. Yeah, exactly. It, so it's quite nice a lot of people, looking, a lot of people like um, fountain pens because they don't have to dispose of anything. And yet a cartridge does mean that you potentially will be disposing of cartridges. I mean, you can reuse them. You can refill them with a syringe. But... A lot of people, you know, cartridge-only pens are a bit of a turn-off. Mm. All right. Well, there you have it. Four, four different sources. You've got your recommendations for the different price brackets. I'm sure that'll give you uh, something to mull over, something to put on a priority list. Uh, you know, but if, if not, come down to one of our meetings and, uh, you know, you can try them out for yourselves. Now, um, we've got a few news items to mention. Um, uh, well, one thing that I mentioned earlier was that I was going to be doing some investigative projects, and I do want to talk a little bit about the first one of those now. Um, uh, one thing I do love at the moment are my Japanese pens, and there are quite a lot of them that are store exclusives to places that you cannot get in Australia. They, they won't ship to Australia, and the only way to get hold of them, unless you are going on a trip to Japan, is to go through a third-party seller. Oh, sorry, a third-party buyer who will actually go purchase the pen for you or you get it sent to them and they send it on to you. So I'm going to have a look at a few of those and see what's what's available, what sort of prices they charge for their service, how easy it is to get in touch with them and what it actually takes to get these pens or inks to Australia. So I'll be looking at that and I'll, I'll bring that up again in later podcasts. But if you have had any experience with this or if you have any suggestions, please feel free to, um, to email us in. Excellent. All right. Now, every episode, we put out a new poll and invite our listeners to share what they think. Now, the latest poll question we have for you guys is, do pen shows need more of a focus on modern fountain pens? To vote and leave a comment on this poll, head over to our Facebook page, The Nib Section. Results will be read out on our next episode, in which we'll uh, speak to the dynamic duo behind the planning of the upcoming Sydney Pen Show, Mark Hobson and Sophia Leigh. Uh, just before we close... You guys have any recommendations or endorsements? These don't have to be pen related. Anything you can uh, pass on to our listeners? Um, I'll go first. Uh, I recommend a show on Netflix right now, Bojack Horseman, which uh, is comic, very funny, but also probably the most accurate depiction of adult depression I've ever seen. Um, and I think it's a wonderful watch. Uh, anybody else? I'm going to go TV as well because I have been watching the new season of Twin Peaks. And I love the originals, and you need to watch them before you watch the new ones, because otherwise you'll be even more lost than I am, because I've got no idea what the hell is going on, but it is bizarre, wonderful, watchable television, and I say go for it. Just go for your life, and don't expect to know what you're watching. Um, mine's also another show, it's, uh, but it's also a show and a book. It's American Gods. Yes. Both the, uh, both the book and the show are fantastic. Amazingly immersive. The acting in the show is superb. Um, it's got, it's got a, a couple of very well-known actors and a couple of lesser-known actors who do an, an amazing job. Several of the characters just make you absolutely love them. Some of them just, you absolutely hate them, but then you realise that it's just because they're such good actors. Um, when you find yourself getting that worked up about a show, then I think it's something that you need to tell everyone to watch. 
this is really embarrassing. You took my suggestion. Oh, bummer. <laughs> serious. I'm serious. I never that Because so. it's so astounding. Just the way that they've translated everything from the book in particular. I had a list of endorsements well, in case this happened. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, okay. You went first, so it didn't matter. Let me make a second recommendation. That, and that's, right, that's, yeah. that's, that's, this is a show that's... Uh, it's like those really super rich chocolate cakes that you can only have like a tiny piece before you sort of go, oh, I could not eat any more of them. It's Black Mirror. Um, that's It's super hard hitting. It's speculative fiction set in either the near or the far future. And quite frankly, it, it I, I've only been able to watch part of it because it is... It is so hard hitting for me. You need I, to take a moment yeah. to digest. Oh, I, I need to take a week to digest yeah. each episode. Pretty much, it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous. And for those uh, Doctor Who fans out there, well, the the current, well, the, well, the next Doctor, um, she is actually in one of the episodes. The, oh, the same actress, that. yeah, yeah, Jodie Whittaker. She's in one of the episodes. Uh, I think in the second season. A very very hard hitting episode in itself. So, uh, yeah, don't let that ruin your image, though, of the, you know, the, the squeaky clean doctor, though, please. <laughs> All right. That's the whole point of acting. Well, there you go, our recommendations. Uh, both pens and uh, non-pen related. Uh, until next time, listeners, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the nibsection.podbean.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Do you want to share your thoughts on something that we discussed? Suggestions for future topics, critiques, or you just want to let us know how we're going? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at the nibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at the nibsection Facebook page or at the nibsection on Twitter. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers are Diana Dai, Chucks Montano, Patrick Antolovich, Denise Tang, Max Schumacher, and Gene Pierce. Recording and editing done by Patrick Antolovich. Our music composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thank you so much for listening.